If you want to listen to this episode or any of our episodes ad-free, you can do that now. Head on over to Patreon. Click on the ad-free level. You get all of our bonus shows that you've been hearing so much about. Plus, every single day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, you can listen to this episode or any of our other episodes at the same time, ad-free, over on Patreon. everyone. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by New York Times bestselling author, a woman who has a hit TV show based on her life, one of the most famous mediums and profilers in the world, and a member of really the most famous dinner party from hell in the history of Housewives ever. The one, the only, Miss Allison Dubois. <laughs> wow, that is quite an introduction. Thank you. I mean, we have to make you feel welcome here on a Monday <laughs> behind the velvet robe. What is going on? How are you? I'm really good. Uh, Monday. Don't all the days just blur together? It's, oh it's crazy. Gosh. It's like, I feel like when you're busy in any career, it's just all, yeah, like what's the difference, right? And we're still, even though our kids are grown, because they say when they're 18, you know, they sort of go and do their own thing. Now we see them every Sunday for family dinner, <laughs> so, which is nice, but so it, we're still juggling the kids too. At least you have that and you know, like when Sunday is marked, right? That's true. I know when to cook and I actually do the dishes and laundry, a real housewife. I was going to say that's very non Beverly Hills of you. And I know you don't live there and you know, so we have a not lot anymore, <laughs> not anymore. And we're going to talk all about that. I want to talk about the dead life, your podcast, but before we get into all of that, I like to, I want to start at the beginning. Like, you know, you have this gift that let's just be honest. Most people don't have like when, you know, growing up, like when did you realize that you had this gift? Um, I, a lot of young mediums are triggered by their first funeral. And my great grandfather had passed. I went to his funeral. I saw him in the casket. I thought he was taking a nap because at the age of five and six, your mom puts you down for a nap when you're cranky. So I'm thinking he's going to feel better when he wakes up. You know, I really didn't understand the concept of death. Um, I went home and I got into bed and he was standing at the foot of my bed and he said, tell your mom, I'm not in pain anymore. And I'm still with her. So I was excited. I thought he took his nap. He feels better because there was no pain on his face. He died of intestinal cancer, which is excruciatingly painful way to die. Um, and his face looked almost, uh, luminescent. It was, um, he looked younger somehow than the age he was when he died, but I could still tell he was my great grandpa. Like he came through so I could tell he at least was older, you know, in, in that, in that age, not that that's the age they stay at. They revert to a younger age really when they pass, but for children, they'll show themselves in a form they understand. So I was excited. I thought he was better. My mom's going to be so excited. I jumped out of bed and I knocked on her door and I went in her room and I said, grandpa says, he's not in pain anymore. And he's still with you. And I was like, you know, smiling all I'm sure excited and exuberant and goofy. And my mom just said, go back to bed. And I felt shut down. I didn't understand what had happened. I went into my room. He was gone. It, it raised a lot of questions for me. And I was only six years old and it was a very long road to figure out my abilities, which it is for most mediums. And I'm glad the television series medium was able to give a picture to young mediums of normalcy in mediumship and that it's a very human experience. So after that, so after you were shut down and your mother's just like, go back to bed, like, did you understand it then? Cause you could say like, well, you know, was that a dream? Was that not a dream? Like, did you really understand it right then? Or was it some other time later on? I, I knew I was awake. I was very aware that I was awake. And I, after that, I started seeing, I know this sounds strange, but it's 
what it's exactly what had happened. Um, old men like grandpa with suspenders and, you know, the sort of broomstick kind of mustache and in my room playing poker. And so I got, I was more comfortable around them. I must've reminded them of a, a granddaughter or a great granddaughter as an adult. Now I know that, but I didn't really think anything of them being in there playing cards because I, I never felt lonely. They were around. Um, and as time went on, I really started understanding it better that, you know, we attract certain people who've passed where we remind them of somebody that they love and that's what was happening. And that continued and you hit your teen years and your hormones kick in and then it goes through the roof. But I always have dreamt of murder. I always dreamt of somebody was being chased by a Dracula or a bad guy when I was a little girl and I was learning to fly like them and I couldn't quite catch up to them. And by the time I caught up to them, it was just in time to see them kill the victim. I never got there exactly on time. It was always a second too late. And so I had this savior complex as a child that carried into my adulthood, which is why I initiated the Amber Alert for the state of Arizona and served on the task force to design that in 2000 and um, had wanted to be a prosecutor to put bad guys away. Wow. Well, I'm a former lawyer, so that's a whole nother story. Not yes. criminal, but just there's <laughs> there's a lot of lawyers out there that don't practice anymore. But that's sure. When you so like, did you go through like a range of emotions? Like when you saw these people playing poker, like were you ever, you know, like I go to like confused, scared. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, did you ever go down that road? Like, I don't understand this. I'm scared. Or was it just all this is lovely? You know, children have heightened senses and I had heightened senses. And what I recognized is there was nothing in me that feared them. I thought it was almost like having just a group of grandpas hanging out and I'd go in and out of my room and they'd look up and, you know, make sure I was all good. And I'd go back out and go swimming in my pool and life was kind of normal. I was actually more, um, I had more of a triggered reaction to the living I like the dead a lot. The living are complicated, basic, sort of shallow <laughs> beings. And um, with my mom, I walked on eggshells quite a lot because I had a stepdad who drank a lot and who was, you know, somewhat abusive uh, in the house to my mom. So no, they actually made me feel a sense of grounding. And maybe they were there for that reason you know, to bring me comfort. Uh, all I knew is I wasn't afraid of them, but the living scared the hell out of me. I get it. I, I, <laughs> I get it. And I, and I don't communicate with the deceased. Did you, so how did, I mean, did you then tell anyone, like, did you need to, like, how did you figure out really what this was? And I guess the other question is like, did you tell your mother? Did you tell people at school? Like, and how did that go over? So, um, the, that first time that I told my mom, I got a bad reaction from her and that's all I needed to know not to do that again. My grandma, I told my grandma, Jenny, and she's, she, and I had that in common in that she knew when people were going to die and she'd stop the hands on the clock and say, somebody's time just ran out. And we'd get a call the next day that, you know, our cousin or, you know, an aunt had passed at that time in Chicago or whatever city they resided. So my grandma just had a sixth sense for death and knowing when people were going to die, but she'd know about wow. 12 hours before they were going to die. I don't know if that comes in handy or not, but it was nice to have her to talk to. Um, I didn't talk to my friends about it until I was a teenager which is a whole other story. And I have some good ones, but, um, it was, um, more me and my grandma that I talked to her about it and then kept it more to myself. And, um, my mom went through a divorce about that time. So you become that silent child who's not seen or heard. So it was easy for me and I was a competitive skater. So I skated seven days a week for, 12 years. And so I just threw myself into it on the rink. 
um, wow. you know, with my angst and it made me one excellent figure skater. <laughs> right. Like, let's not deal with this. Let's just throw, at yeah. least you threw it into something productive, right? Yeah. It was constructive and I just lost myself in my sport, which is super healthy. The wait is over. That's right. Season five of the Kardashians is here. Just when you thought life couldn't get any faster, they're punching it into overdrive. Chris, Courtney, Kim, Chloe, Kendall, and Kylie are back and continue to defy expectations in all their endeavors. So get ready to go behind the glitz and glamour of the most iconic family on television. The all-new season of The Kardashians premieres May 23rd, streaming on Hulu. All right, so there's some good news and there's some bad news here today. Now, the good news is if you're listening to this, you are alive, but there is bad news. The bad news is you probably don't have life insurance. I certainly didn't, and that's why you need Ethos. Now, I looked into some other companies, I you knew the option of getting life insurance, and it was so confusing and it was outdated in this huge application process. I was like, I have no time to deal with this today. And I kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off until one day I discovered Ethos. With Ethos, you can get life insurance in 10 minutes for as little as $10 a month. They have no medical exams, which I love. There's just a few easy health questions and very competitive rates from top rated carriers. So basically what I'm saying is it's affordable and convenient. Do you know that every year you wait, life insurance premiums increase by 8 to 10%? Get a free personalized quote at ethoslife.com slash velvet. That's spelled E-T-H-O-S life.com slash velvet. Go to ethoslife.com slash velvet to get your free life insurance quote today. Ethos Technologies Inc. operates in California as Ethos Life Insurance Services. Not available in all states in prices subject to underwriting and certain health questions. I hope you all had a good summer, but you know what? Summer's over and now it's time to get serious about feeling good. And how can you feel good without Dane products? The Eva. The Eva is one of their most popular products. Let's be honest. Sex is better when everybody is enjoying themselves. It's a hands-free vibrator for couples. It boosts your pleasure and connection all with a little toy that won't get in the way. Now, if you're not in a relationship and you don't have anyone, hello, just like me, you can use the Palm. The Palm is a versatile vibrator from Dame Products. It's super bendy. I mean, hello, you guys getting turned on just by me talking. But honestly, the Palm is great if you're alone. You hold it in the palm of your hand. The Eva is great if you're in a couple. There's the Fin. It's a finger vibrator. They have sex oils and lubes. You know what the best part is? Dame offers hassle-free returns within 60 days, so your satisfaction is literally guaranteed. You go to dameproducts.com, you enter the code VELVETROPE, and you get 15% off. That's right, the Palm, the Eva, the Lube, the sex oils, 15% off. Go to Dame Products and enter code VELVETROPE. That is healthy. I mean, I just throw myself into work when I want to avoid things in life. So I totally understand. <laughs> I mean, how did, so in, in school, you say it's a complicated story. Like what was that? I mean, were you like that? Well, that's the strange girl that says she talks to dead people. Or was it like, hey, we have a lot of things. We need, you know, I could see it going right. e- 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 either way. See, in grade school, I was really busy, a lot going on personally and academic. I was very academic, so um, I had a lot of homework. And and so it, it, I didn't talk about it in grade school with people in school, but I, I remember seeing a Disney movie and it showed a girl who, when she'd go up into the attic, she'd see this boy and girl apparition that were in the attic. And that made sense to me. And then I saw somewhere in time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour. And at the end, when they're um, reunited in death, I turned to my dad and I said, dad, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I was very excited about it. My dad just sort of <laughs> chalked it up to that's Allison. And it was when I was a teenager is when I recognized I was really good at predicting relationships <laughs> and Um, my friend would, I had a friend that said, um, I got, I got a new boyfriend. He's so great. I want you to meet him. And she said his name. And immediately I saw a blonde and I looked at her and I just, I was straightforward. And I said, he's still talking to his ex. You might want to check into that. And she checked into it and found out he'd been cheating with his ex and they take it out on you. 
as we, as we know. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, that can end friendships, but if it's somebody you just want to get rid of, it's an excellent way to get them out of your life. <laughs> so my friends just all knew I had a knack with, with knowing when guys cheat or, you know, if the relationship would last, I did move my bed at 17 when my friend Barbara, who was my maid of honor at our wedding, um, she spent the night when you're 17, you know, we, we were in the same bed. We went out, we went to a party, came back. And before we had left, I moved my bed from the South wall to the East wall. And she said, why did you do that? And I said, that voice told me to move it. You know, the one that protects me. And she said, you're so weird. And we went to sleep and a trek drove through my bedroom wall that night. And I actually have a picture of it, drove through my bedroom wall and where I moved the bed was the only place we wouldn't have been killed because the truck was completely in the room. So we would have been pinned under it. And Barbara and I went to Taco Bell the next day and she was like, we almost died. She's like, you moved the bed. That's why we're alive. And we were just trying to wrap our minds around what had just happened. And neither of our moms were hearing it. They're like, well, you're just lucky to be alive, but they weren't quite getting that I was told to move the pit. <laughs> so parents aren't always all that helpful. Do you still talk to this, Barbara? I mean, oh, yeah. yeah. Wow. <laughs> We've been friends since we were 13. Well, that's like a telltale sign right there. I mean, that you moved to bed. I mean, right. Wow. Kind of. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, well, I also would think that you would be somewhat popular then. I mean, if you could like predict when like a guy was the wrong guy for your girlfriends and like cheating, I would think people would be like, let's just go to Allison and like figure out if this is the right one. Some, the really honest ones did, but I think as you know, and I know, and your audience knows, most of our girlfriends don't want to know the truth necessarily. They'd rather pretend things are okay. And that is true. Yeah. And I was fine with that because I never gave them information unless it was something that was going to put them in danger. You know, then I would say something to protect. But um, for instance, if they tried to go with somebody and I got a bad feeling like a rape feeling on that person, I'd pull them back by their arm and I'm like, now you need to stay. And it's when I learned how to be really assertive was at that age because it came out as protection. And so even though people out there are, are spiritual, we're not doormats and we do know how to put our foot down on somebody's neck if necessary. Totally. And that's when that started for me because, um, yeah, it's like little kids and maybe you've had this happen when you'd be in a grocery store and you get a bad vibe on someone or they make you want to move to the other end of the aisle or to the other side of the store, you just know, or you keep an eye on them to make sure that they're not around little kids. There's just something inside of you that is warning you almost, it, you know, your inner voice saying, you know, be careful. So I think we all have that intuitive nature. If we listen to our inner voice, I think a lot of people are distracted by the outward world and um, sometimes fail to listen to what it's trying to tell them. Interesting. And I, I, I would agree with that. So you have this gift. There's so many different, you know, things you can do with it and ways you can go. And I know you've done a lot in your career. Like, how do you then, you know, end up in the DA's office? And how do you decide to like, say, you know, I am going to, like you said, run and catch up right before the murder and help solve murders. Like, how did that become the pathway? You know, I, I think a lot of what happened for me was faded. Honestly, um, I, like I told you, had been dreaming of murders and had that um, need to save that savior complex my whole existence. So when it came to being a lawyer, I knew in the fifth grade I wanted to be a prosecutor. I already knew I wanted to be a homicide prosecutor. Boom, right there. I already knew. I was carrying attache cases since I was 11 and wearing penny loafers. That's who I was. So I, when I was a senior in college, I went to homicide at Maricopa County's DA's office and I, I wanted to intern. I wanted an internship and all the women, and this has been my experience in life. <laughs> all the women said, no, we don't have any openings. Thanks for coming. And they sort of shuffle you out to the front. So I was waiting for my parking to be validated and this man sat next to me and he, he said, what are you doing? You know, what are you doing here? 
Um, and I said, I was here for an internship, but they told me they have no openings. And he said, he happened to be pretty high up. We'll just put that. And he said, I need an intern. And the walk I got to have back to his office when he was the boss of the bosses and be his intern, priceless to see their faces fall. And then they got to work with me. <laughs> so while I was interning, I was seeing what was happening before the person was killed. It was my job to sort crime scene photos to go to court. Um, and I kept getting this feeling and I'd feel if it was motivated by, you know, sexually motivated or if it was financially motivated. And so I'd get this vibe on it. And the man I was interning for said, if you can tap into pictures, can you tap into people? And I said, yeah, I've always done that. And he said, can you tap into 13, which is a jury plus the alternate. And I said, I could try. And so I was given a stack of jury questionnaires to run my hands over. And I could feel if a woman had been sexually assaulted at any point in her life. So it was my job to put those women on the jury because our, our um, victim had been raped before she was murdered. And um, these are women that I had to put on the jury. We were going for a death penalty. We're, we're Arizona, not California. So like we do that still, you know, and um, they said they'd never give a death penalty under any circumstances. So that's why I wanted one who would empathize with my victim. So we put them on and the defense didn't even see it coming. They thought these women would never flip on and give a death penalty. And they all came back with the death penalty because the anger that they felt and the helplessness from their own sexual assault, they were getting justice for our victim. I don't know if you guys know this about me, but I have suffered from eczema for pretty much my whole life. Now, I don't know if it's the change in weather from hot to a little bit colder this week, but my eczema is starting to act up worse than it has in months. I've tried a lot of products in the past and I've grown frustrated because nothing has really worked long term. Glad Skin for me was a game changer. Glad Skin is a new category of skin treatment that's made for people of all ages with eczema, acne, rosacea. The reason Glad Skin is different is because they used a science-based approach. Glad Skin specifically works to target the imbalance in your skin's good and bad bacteria. They use a microbalance. That's right, a microbalance. And that helps restore the balance of the good and bad bacteria. Also, for me, other products I've used in the past have been harsh. Even those that eventually worked, there was that harsh, stinky feeling. Glad Skin is very soothing. Don't wait to try Gladskin. They're offering my listeners 15% off plus free shipping on your first order at gladskin.com slash velvet. That's gladskin.com slash velvet for 15% off plus free shipping. Gladskin.com slash velvet. It's so important to prioritize your mental health and wellness every day. I speak from experience when I say when you work on yourself, you start to see and feel positive changes in all areas of your life. Therapy has really given me the tools to deal with challenges as they arise. It's helped strengthen my relationships. For my therapy, I've turned to Talkspace. Getting started is the most important part. And listen, I mean, we all say it. I'm going to wait till something goes wrong to get started. Wrong. Start now. Start today. Talkspace has helped me so much. They're the number one online therapy platform. They have thousands of licensed therapists trained in over 40 specialties, anxiety, depression, relationships relationships, and on and on and on. And you all know I'm in the Hamptons for the summer, so what I love about it is it's mental health care that meets your needs wherever you are. As a listener of this podcast, you get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use code VELVET to get $100 off your first month just for Behind the Velvet Rope listeners. That's velvetandtalkspace.com. Wow. And like, right, like the, the other side didn't even know these things about these women or just, it wasn't no. public knowledge. No, it wasn't. No. A lot of women don't talk about sex being sexually assaulted or molested in their life. 
Um, and so, no, it was nothing that was that they ask in jury questionnaires or anything. <laughs> so after that was this boss of the boss's boss, like, wait, you're like the best intern we ever had. And like, <laughs> um, you know, that first one was scary because the jury was out for six days and you know what that means. It's probably a hung jury or you're, you're going to get a not guilty maybe, but you're not going to get a guilty. And they, they came back on that sixth day and, and gave the guilty and, he, he got to take the podium in the press conference on the news. And I got to be at home with my kids getting ready for TGI Fridays for dinner, um, watching him announce that they had gotten justice for her. And she was a law student at ASU. So to me, that was personal as well. Cause that could have been any, that could have been me. That could have been anyone I know. And, uh, and it was amazing, but yeah, then he, I worked six, I, I selected six juries and then wow. medium medium came out and then people knew what I looked like and I could end up hurting the prosecution. If somebody in a jury took it out on me that they didn't believe in what I did or something along those lines, you never know what they're going to do or think in a jury. So wow. I couldn't do it anymore. And it's honestly what made me the happiest. I felt like I was at my best when I was helping them do that. Do you remember, like, how did you feel like with that first, you know, like that first death penalty, like you said, like, were you, and even though he was standing on the podium and you were home with teach, I yeah. mean, were you still like, Allison, this was all you and just yeah. like, oh, they all called me. <laughs> so that was great. And um, one of the prosecutors, which they never quite wrote this into the, into medium, but she thought I was full of shit <laughs> to be honest with you when I was interning and she didn't understand why he was going on a, out on a limb for me. The jury I picked is a different jury than she would have picked. She was a little upset that he went with my jury to begin with, but then we won. So after that, um, this woman who didn't like most people, and she's one of the biggest ball buster prosecutors I have ever seen in my life, became one of my best friends. So, <laughs> so I helped her on some cases through the years as well. Wow. Is there anything that you saw like during that time where you're just like, you know, I'm not sure about this one. Like, what, like, would you have like, just something that sticks out of like, we're not going in the right direction or just, you kind of always believe your intuition. Um, sometimes I will get information and even be able to come up with evidence that won't make a difference anyways. That's frustrating. Um, one of the cases that I picked a jury for, we could prove that the little girl was um, molested and murdered in this particular trailer. We couldn't prove that the guy who was a meth addict who said he went to the store was the one that killed her. They were never able to. And you would think that would be an easy leap to make that, you know, the parents who were drug addicts and left their three-year-old with this guy that obviously it was going to be him, but you know, you have to have the evidence and there was no DNA evidence and we were unable to get a death penalty on, or a conviction even on him. So wow. that one hurt, that one hurt. And that's when I realized no matter how much I put my heart into it in my mind, there's some cases that aren't mine to solve or to get the justice for. So right. I'm just here for the ones that I can. Wow. Well, that's a, probably a hard thing to accept, but you know, yeah. Part of the job. Well, I'm human, right? <laughs> totally. At the end of the day. Yeah. <laughs> you are a human, even though you have this gift. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, like when we started, I said, you wrote six books. I know one of them was don't kiss them goodbye. And I know that yes. that was kind of what inspired medium. Now talk to us about how this all came about. I know Kelsey Grammer was involved. So tell me how, you know, here you are, you're doing your job and it's all great. How does, I mean, how does one get a TV show made about their life? Um, I was being studied by scientists to try, they were trying to understand how I was doing what I was doing. So I, along with other people with abilities were being studied in a laboratory for a university. Um, anyways, I became one of their sort of best and Hollywood reached out for a pilot called the oracles and they were taking, they were narrowing it down to about 120 of us and then pitting us against each other to see who was going to make the five oracles. The only reason I went is because I wanted to see, I was in homicide at this time when this was happening and I had just initiated the Amber alert and served on the task force. So this was in 2000. Um, so I went to see what other mediums looked like. Do they wear suits? Do they carry attache cases? 
And what are they like? And so I went and they were nothing like me. I was nothing like them. They were all from different countries and different walks of life. And we all had different styles. And some of them were a little strange and some of them were cool. And you'd never know that they could do what they do. And, um, and then I just realized as I was going through the process that a lot of them were very average because I was used to being studied in the lab where they say, the scientists will say, I posed a question to somebody who died, who's connected to me on the other side. I want you to answer the question. So the only way you can answer that question is by talking to the dead person. They were trying to eliminate reading of minds, that sort of thing. Um, so I was able to do that. And so I, I expected that level. Anyways, I made one of the five oracles. I didn't mean to, you know, and every week you're watching your friends go home, your astrology friends, your runes friends, your, you know, your weirdos from all walks of life that you kind of love and feel connected to. And, um, so I made one of the five oracles and Kelsey had produced that. So that's how I met him. Um, Charles Shaughnessy actually was the host of that pilot and we read people out of the audience, nothing new, nothing, nothing. <laughs> I mean, it was a, it was a good concept and a good show, but, um, yeah, I didn't really care. I just, it was an interesting experience. And then I really knew that I was better than a lot of mediums because now I'd gone up against them from around the world that a stack of producers had, you know, pulled and tested each of them for them to even get to the phase of being able to compete on the show. And we were competing for days leading up to the filming. So it was a lot. It was a and, lot. And this show just never went anywhere. It was one of those pilots that just never yeah. was picked up. Yeah. Wow. Honestly, I didn't care because I never set out to be in television. I wanted to be a prosecutor. Damn it. You know, TV sort of fell in my lap. And I know that's terrible to be able to say when a lot of people that's their, that's their focus. That's, that's their intention. Um, that never was mine. It just never was. I knew I was going to be famous, but I thought I was going to be a famous lawyer or, you know, a judge of some sort that would make the news something along those lines. And I was good with that. Um, then Afterwards, I asked Kelsey to write a blurb for my first book, Don't Kiss Some Goodbye. And he did. And I got a call when I was out swimming with my kids and it was his assistant. She said, they want to make a television series based on your life. I think I was 32 then. And I felt too young to be that interesting to have a series made on my life. So everything just went fast forward since then. It was a whirlwind. Um, I was not a writer. I write, I wrote all six of my books, which is amazing. And I ran into my fifth grade English teacher and I gave her a copy. I was like, thanks for the B in the fifth grade. <laughs> you know, it, was a copy of my, it was a copy of my book. And she was like, Oh, Allison. it was funny though. It was all good. Did you believe it? Cause like you said, like that, first of all, that's a, if you ever want to go into being a reality TV producer, I think that's a great reality show right there. Like a bunch of mediums from all over the world competing to like be the number one or whatever. I don't know how that would play out, but that sounds like a reality show to me. I think they've done it with psychics around the world before. And I don't think it translate and translates. And the reason is people want to hear something about them specifically. So watching mediums read other people, although people like it on my YouTube, they like watching the video clips and everything, but, um, watching somebody else be read, it has to be incredibly compelling or you're going to get bored. So to, to have episodes where you've got some sort of average readings lined up back to back to back with that could be monotonous. I could see how that'd be a tough, a tough one to pull off. I could see it, that being monotonous. <laughs> what about, you know, like Kelsey Grammer, certainly you're familiar with Frazier. You knew him because of this other show. Like, did you believe it when this call comes in? Are you like, okay, we already had a failed pilot. We all know how, I mean, even if you don't know how TV works, you know, it's a long shot. Like, were you just like, that sounds great. Or were you like, oh my God. Um, if he saw something in it, I trusted his vision. You know, he's a visionary. That's what he is. So, um, yeah, I was, I was game. And then I had the press in Arizona, you know, all the headlines, 
everybody wanting to interview me saying, you know, this has been tried before and it didn't work. What makes you think yours is going to be any different? You know, this, this isn't going to make it. And so I'm in my early thirties going through this like television blitz of, of newspapers and people with an angle and dealing with reporters and journalists and journalists. If you've ever been interviewed by a hardcore journalist, they're kind of rude (laughs) and they're very to the point, you know, they're just getting their job done, but they're incredibly curt. And, um, so I was very overwhelmed and I had three little girls on top of it and we were trying to keep them safe and I'd put people on death row and some of them were gang members. (laughs) So, you know, I have a Beretta nine millimeter that's always by me. And I was ready if anybody ever walked through my door and that's the way it was in the Dubois house, but your kid was safe if they were ever playing with us. And I just kept it in a lockbox. <laughs> and was that like, word? was that a word just because right? Like now you're going to your face, even though you're not on the show, people are still going to know your face. Like that was a concern I, of like, yeah, it was, I was worried that um, some of the defendants in the courtroom might remember me because they, they used to lick their teeth and their lips and look at me and blow me kisses in the courtroom and stuff. So, you know, they're kind of gross. I mean, they're rapist murders, you know? Um, and I was sitting with the prosecution, so they were particularly focused on me and I was very young. Um, so I was worried they were going to know. And one night Joe was out of town, um, for a, a rocket or something he was designing. And, um, our electricity went out, like everything went out at the house and, I told the girls, I said, lock the door. I'm going to sit outside on the patio table. And I sat out there with my gun and uh, waited to see who was going to come over the fence. So I just wasn't sure that that wasn't the night. It was very scary. So sort of lived like that. I had a fence erect, a gate erected after that, but um, um, I've, I've, I've been okay, but it's also why we changed our girl's last name from my husband's to mine because his name was too unique and I didn't want somebody hurting one of our kids. And my name's Dubois. Joe took my name. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I would imagine when the lights go off, even though that does happen for us for a lot of reasons, that's where your mind would go. My mind goes there just hearing this story and I wasn't even there. (laughs) Yeah, it was. And I have a lot of friends that are cops. And so they'd send a cruiser by or their husband in the cruiser to make sure I was okay and everything. But I had to know how to um, use a weapon for self-protection for a long time. Um, But I, again, I grew up in Arizona. We've had guns my whole life, so nothing new. It's par for the course in Arizona. Yeah, you get your first one at like seven. It's like a BB um, rifle. I used to shoot my brother in the ass with it. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) So once this was going forward, like, were you involved in like the casting? Like, were you involved in like casting Patricia Arquette? Um, It's interesting that you had asked that. I had no idea. People asked me, who would you have play you? And I really couldn't imagine... I mean, what if somebody asked you that? I mean, sometimes people will just pick a really good looking person as their idea of who would play themselves, but I'm just so sort of different. I really couldn't imagine. It was actually Glenn Karen, our creator's girlfriend at the time who had suggested Patricia Arquette and I wasn't familiar with her. So he made me go rent. Yes. Rent blockbuster, (laughs) a true romance uh, with Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette. So I watched it and she was a badass in it. And I thought, okay, well, you know, she's had to, uh, she's, she knows how to play a scrapper. So this will be good. And then when it came out, she was sort of the softer version of me, uh, which is probably best (laughs) for everybody out there. But, um, yeah, she's just a sweetheart. Patricia's honestly one of the nicest people I've ever met who Juliet Lewis was another woman. They were considering. And then I had suggested the guy to play my husband, Joe, that they ended up casting on lost and lost came out the same season that medium did Matthew Fox. Yes. Matthew Fox. Uh, that's the big brother, right. From the party of five party of five. Right. Okay. Yeah. The big brother. And 
but they cast Jake Weber and he was amazing as my husband. He pulled off his demeanor. Exactly. He's my, my husband is the best girl dad out there. He's just great. Was Matthew Fox, was he like, after you suggested him or thought, was he like in the mix or it was already, he was involved? No, they said he already got cast. They said he's been cast. I loved knowing all the ins and out in Hollywood of what's just happened, but nobody knows like who's been cast for what. It was sort of an incredible time in Hollywood to have been in the thick of it. And then to be at the Emmys in 05, to watch a woman win an Emmy for playing me was even more bizarre. I would imagine it is. I was, that was one of my questions. I mean, she won an Emmy the first season out. Like that's gotta be a like surreal moment in your life. Yeah. I was there with Joe. We stood up. We were so excited. We were actually sitting behind the cast of lost (laughs) and uh, we were there with other people from medium. And uh, it was, it was an incredible night. I'll never, ever forget it. And I'm just, I feel beyond blessed. So if nothing else, cool happens in my life. I'm okay with that. I've gotten more than I deserve. That's pretty. Was Julia Lewis like heavy in the mix? Like, was it between her and Patricia Arquette? Like, did she get far? Um, I, I think this is common knowledge. She was sort of blackballed back in the day because she wasn't showing up to sets for movies and such. So they thought she could be difficult. And that's why she was not considered for very long. She would have been, I mean, it was great, but man, right. Julia, I mean, I, I could picture that this is, this could be her and Matthew Fox. This could have been a whole different show. Uh, thank over you. Sexy. Right. I mean, but then Patricia, I'd watch her with Jake and I was like, they've got to actually have feelings for each other because there was such chemistry on the show. It was just insane. It was just, it was beautifully cast. Whoever did the casting for medium um, is worth platinum in Hollywood because everybody, Jennifer Lawrence played me as a teenager. So I've been played by two Academy Award winners, which is amazing. And they had Emma Stone on. We had Molly Ringwald, which scratched the itch for my generation. (laughs) I love a little Molly Ringwald. Right? So um, Jason Priestley played a serial killer. That was kind of interesting to see. And Nev Campbell was in it. And I mean, there were just some really amazing Angelica Houston. How incredible was she where her daughter was murdered and she turns into a vigilante. I was like, this is amazing. That's and Kelsey Grammer was in it. Yes. Yes. He played, he played death or something along the lines of that. Were you heavily involved? Like you said, like Patricia Arquette was kind of like, you know, a softer version of yourself. Yeah. Like, were you involved? And like, was it because like you have three daughters and a husband in real life? She had three, the three daughters, like the three daughters in the show also had the gift. Like, do your children have the same gift? It's genetic. It runs in wow. families. So, yeah, they all have facets of my abilities. It's funny because when they were little, they they spoke about it so freely. Um because they're little kids. So they didn't have to edit themselves. Their mom did that. So, you know, she was a medium, so they could say anything to me. Um, My middle daughter, who everybody loved, who was played by Maria Lark, who actually was my daughter's best friend. They were best friends in real life. And she used to come stay with us. So the funny little middle daughter um, character, she could locate objects. So if I bought something and hit it, we pulled up once And she ran out to the car and she's like, give me the candy. And I looked at her and said, what are you talking about? She's like, it's in the glove compartment. We had just bought a birthday present for a party they were going to that day. And I had bought a sucker to attach to the top just as decorative. And it was in the glove compartment. I had to give it to her. I mean, she knew it was there. So the the birthday girl didn't get the lollipop that day. That was Fallon. She got the lollipop, but they all have different um, strengths. And she did learn to do tarot at a young age because her godmother was a tarot reader. And then my friend, Tom, who's one of my best friends is a professional astrologer. And so they grew up learning astrology as well. So they're having a good time right now. They, you know, their first question, what time were you born? (laughs) They want to run your chart. So I love having three little versions of me. It's kind of cool. Yeah, that's kind of cool. Was it hard? Cause listen, we all know, or at least I know, like, you know, in Hollywood, you give up control. Like I imagine that was hard. Yes. I, yes. Anytime you sign your life 
rights over for a show. And that was something I grappled with. I, I thought of it. I, I said, this will never, my story will never be told if I don't sign this paper. And obviously they screw you out of all the money <laughs> too. I mean, they, they do. Um, so I learned a lot about Hollywood and um, the ins and outs of it. But the hardest thing for me is that they killed my husband at the end. When they killed Joe, they didn't even tell us they were going to do that and that that's how they were going to end it. I had to find out through another actor on the show. So um, that pissed me off that they had so little respect for the real family that they would not just do that, but my kids weren't prepared to see their dad die in that scenario. So that wasn't cool. Um, also there was an episode where they tried to sort of go after my mom and paint her in a bad light. And I read the script cause I had it in my contract. I got the scripts ahead of time and I got to read them and I read every one. And I, I emailed him immediately. I said, Oh, hell no. And he said, don't worry. They already put the kibosh on it. It was too steamy. And I was like, don't do that. Don't do that to my family. This is my family. These are real people. So it was it wasn't as um, easy as people think how glamorous it is. All these people out there that are fans feel they know you, which is great. And sometimes it's not. And then you've got the crazies out there who think you stole their life because they have three kids and they can see the dead and that's their show. And they're going to sue me. And I'm like, okay. So, I mean, you're getting it from all sides. Being a public figure is no joke. Even on reality shows, when I see young people on reality shows, they don't know how to deal with the pressure from social media. I mean, it takes somebody with an iron spine to deal with it and not give them any you know, credence or place any emotional weight on what people say online that are faceless creatures out in the world, but they take it personally. And I actually did have a friend who was famous that committed suicide and it, she, she was having a big problem with trolls online and it really got to her. So, uh, I caution people out there that want to be on 16 and pregnant <laughs> You don't know what you're signing up for and um, just go to go to school or learn a skill. You're probably better off. I say these things all the time about all of that, <laughs> like the addiction of fame and what fame yes. is. And like you just and right, you need to have it. You've got to be able to block all this out, which is not easy. It comes only with experience. I totally and, agree. And, and David, I don't I don't know how you feel, but for me, the best part of the fame was getting a good table in a restaurant. <laughs> I mean, I'm not that difficult. I'm not that difficult. Or just um, getting, or just getting the reservation yes. when there is no reservation being like, but I want to come. They're like, okay, well, we're going to make it happen. It's great. Right. Yeah, exactly. So um, it's a lot. It's a lot. So technology definitely changed how fame is navigated. And I'm glad there are podcasts such as yours that look at all sides of a person's life and not just a one sort of facet of it, but women and men, we have a lot of facets to us. And just because we're on TV doesn't mean we're an object. I mean, we're people. Totally. The the yeah. And then before we do move into reality TV, like, did you ever regret then, you know, signing your life away? Like you said, it's not your money, you know, Patricia, you know, no, no, no shade to anyone, but yeah. I'm sure Patricia Arquette in season seven is paid a gazillion dollars. Oh yeah. And you know, Kelsey Grammer and you know, do you ever regret like, what did I no, do? No, I, I don't. And I guess the reason is I told you earlier about that very, one of my best friends who is, a, she's, she just retired, but was a prosecutor for years. I watched her get shoot up over the years by the cases. I saw the toll it took on her um, having to study the crime scene photos and um, lose a case because of a technicality, knowing that some killer's going to get set free. Like the weight on her was just enormous. And she always said she, she wanted my life. And I always said, well, I wanted to be you. And the more that the years were rolling by, I realized even with all the murders and all the death I've dealt with, she had it harder, which is why I really respect law enforcement so much. I mean, they really 
try really hard to keep us safe. It's and, a hard uh, job. It's a hard, hard job. And it tears those people up, all the prosecutors. I, I agree with all that being a former lawyer myself. It's right. a hard, yes. but especially criminal. And like when you have people's lives in your hands, it's just, I can't even imagine. That, no, the, I mean, and it's not just the person who was killed and bringing justice for them. It's preventing somebody else's death that's out there walking around that doesn't know they're going to be a victim. I mean, it's just this enormous pressure. So my hat's off to them. My hat's off to them. So (laughs) there's all this pressure and you have this amazing, like, you know, someone's playing you and she wins an, you know, she wins an Emmy. So how, and I know, you know, Kelsey Grammer. So I imagine that is how you get involved with the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and are part of this epic dinner scene that we are still talking about all these seasons later. You know, I was in New York on a book tour and, um, Camille called me to tell me how terrible (laughs) that's not exactly the word she used, but, um, sort of, you know, these women that are less than couth, uh, not the nicest, how they treated her and how she felt ganged up on. And, you know, if I didn't, I figured she'd fight her own battle. I fight my own. <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, dish it back to her. She sounds like a real bitch. I mean, I didn't know what to say. Well, we know what to say. We know exactly what to say. And you know what that is? Part two of this chat with Allison Dubois is not only coming soon, very soon, but it is entirely about R-H-O-B-H. All the women. Allison literally goes down and gives us her impressions from that dinner party of everyone, Kyle, Kim, Camille, yeah, Adrian, Taylor, LVP, and do you think Allison holds back? So part two is all about the dinner party from hell, the dinner party from hell, the original dinner party from hell. It is all about Allison's experience on Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, and it's literally part two because it's about an hour-long chat. So hope you enjoyed this chat, getting to know about Allison, her gift, Medium, Patricia Arquette, her whole background. I found it so interesting. And part two is nothing but R-H-O-B-H coming soon. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones and the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're behind the Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you guys. See you soon.